Hey, welcome, everybody. Welcome, River Glen. Welcome here. Everybody in the room here in Waukesha, welcome online and in Pewaukee. So good to have you uh, with us this weekend. And uh, like Don said, we had a great weekend. Last weekend, we did a big offering giveaway. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and tell you the results of the uh, offering. But to give you a little bit of perspective, an average weekend offering at River Glen is, is $50,000. And uh, take a look at what we received last weekend. There it is up there. Isn't that great? Give God a hand. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Way to go. Thank you for your generosity and, and your support and your partnership in the mission of Jesus. And uh, that enables us to do all the projects that uh, we plan to do this upcoming year and make a bigger impact for Jesus. So thank you so very much. Well, this weekend we're beginning a, a brand new series. We put this one on the calendar about a year ago. I've really been looking forward to this because we're going to begin studying one of the greatest sections in the entire Bible. I think of it this way. If you said to me, Ben, if you were stranded on an island and you could bring some of the best chapters of the Bible to read over and over again, what would you bring? And you know what? I would pick these chapters from the book of Romans in the New Testament of the Bible. Romans chapter 6, 7, and eight. These chapters really teach us what it means to live like a new you. But before we get into all that, I want you to hear a very personal story from someone who attends River Glen and has experienced what we're going to talk about. Take a look. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Really appreciate Meg opening up and sharing a very personal story. She decided to follow Jesus. Jesus made her a new person, but she still had some, some struggles and some changes that she needed to make to live like a new person. As we begin, I want to ask you this question. Is there anything that you wish that you could change about yourself? Is there anything that you wish you could change about yourself? You know, I can think of a long list of things that I'd like to change about me. I wish I didn't complain so much. I have a tendency when things don't go the way that I want, even little things, I complain. And it just makes them, it just makes them worse. One time I gave a message on complaining and I challenged everybody to go 30 days without complaining. We handed out rubber bands. Maybe some of you remember this. We put them on our wrist. And if you get yourself complaining, you snap the rubber band, which causes a little pain. And then you start over and you go 30 days without uh, complaining. I think I lasted five minutes before I snapped my rubber band. I snapped the rubber band so many times I was bleeding. I went through like a box of rubber bands. And that's the last time we've ever done the, <laughs> the complaining challenge. You know, I wish I could control my anger uh, uh, better. I can go from zero to 60 in like three seconds when it comes to anger. Anger itself isn't a sin, it's what you do with it. And sometimes I get angry and frustrated and I, I say, uh, harsh words to my wife or to one of my uh, kids, or I get angry watching a Packer game. I don't know why. I mean, I tell myself it's just a game. But if the Packers go for it on fourth down, they don't make it, or if the referee makes a bad call, I have like a meltdown, and I just lose my uh, temper. Several years ago, we, we, our cable TV went out, and so we went to Buffalo Wild Wings to watch the Packer game, which is not a good idea for me to watch Packer games in public. People are like, I can't believe you're a pastor. I go to River Glen. I'm going to have to find a new church. And why does he keep snapping that rubber band on his, on his wrist? Over time, I've made some progress, but I still struggle with complaining and anger. What about you? What do you wish you could change about yourself? Maybe you wish you could stop yelling so much at your kids. Maybe you wish you could control 
anger, greed, jealousy, lust. Maybe you wish you could kill some bad habit or start a good habit. Maybe you wish you could overcome a certain addiction or take better care of your body. What do you wish you could change about yourself? And let me ask this follow-up question. Have you ever tried to change one of these things about yourself and failed? Maybe you live differently for a while and then we just fall back and we end up doing the same old things. Paul, the author of Romans, says this in, in Romans chapter 7, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Paul gets it, doesn't he? You can tell he hasn't followed through on all of his New Year's resolutions. But in another passage, Paul writes, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life is begun. When we put our faith in Jesus, we believe he makes us a new person, but I often wonder, why don't I feel that way? If the old life is gone, why do I still struggle with it so much? Is there something wrong with me? I mean, this doesn't seem like this is the way it should go. Here's a question I want us to wrestle with today and throughout this series. How do I live like a new person? Paul's got some great insight for us to answer that question. In each week of this series, we're gonna unpack a little bit more of what it takes to live like a new you. But before we look at Romans chapter six, which is where we're gonna begin, I wanna make sure that we understand the foundation that Paul lays in the first five chapters of Romans. Paul writes that God created Adam and Eve and he put them in the Garden of Eden and he gave them the freedom to do whatever they wanted to do. Except God said, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God tested their obedience and what did they do? They failed and disobeyed and they sinned. Paul, so Paul says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Sin is this characteristic inside of us that causes us to go against God's best for us. Sin entered the world through Adam and it has infected every single person. I saw Pastor Andy Stanley use this illustration to describe what Paul says next. Sin entered the entire human race, and because we're born, we're born in sin. We're born with sin, with a sinful nature to disobey God. And so here's me right here, and I was born in Adam. I was born in sin. And here's my wife, Marnie. I don't know if Marnie's watching uh, right now. Uh, maybe I'll just put Marnie right here. Uh, no, no, no. Marnie, born in Adam, born in sin, right there. Uh, here's our daughter, Taylor. Taylor, I remember when she was born, I thought she was such a beautiful, precious, innocent little baby. And then she turned two, terrible twos, and we realized she's a little sinnerling. And we've got two little, we've got two boys, and I'm telling you, right out of the chute, we could tell, born in sin born in Adam. Uh, our granddaughter, Emily, uh, Pastor Dave in Pewaukee, born in Adam, the Pope, uh, Mother Teresa, all of us. Nobody escapes this. We're all born in sin with a sinful nature that goes against what God wants for us. And it doesn't seem fair to be born in Adam. I get that. But just because it seems unfair doesn't make it less true. We're born, and then we're not categorized as good, bad, pretty good. We're all born in Adam 
with sin. And that's some really bad news because sin separates us from God. But then here's some really good news. Paul writes, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for sinners. Utterly helpless, born in Adam, but God sends his son Jesus. And Jesus lives a perfect, sinless life, restores what Adam destroyed, a right standing relationship with God. Paul says, what a contrast. He writes, the, sins of this one, the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us, but to all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Paul says, you receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness. How do you do that? It's a matter of faith. Later on in chapter 10, Paul says, you can go to the next slide. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a matter of faith. And notice he doesn't say, oh, you might be saved. You can hope to be saved. No, he says, you will be saved. You can have confidence that you're saved. You go from in Adam, born in Adam, to living in Jesus. The old life is gone and now you're a new person. That's the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel. But here's the problem. We don't always live like this new person. We struggle with temptation and sin. You're supposed to be the new you in Jesus, but how do you live like the new you when you still struggle with the old you? I want you to imagine for a moment that your parents set up a trust fund for you. It's in your name, it's yours, but until you start receiving payments from that trust fund, you don't experience the full benefits that your parents wanted to provide for you. In the same way, if you put your faith in Jesus, this new life is yours, a life filled with joy, forgiveness, strength, eternal life. It's got your name all over it. But until you start drawing from it, receiving from it, growing in it, you don't experience the full benefits of living like a new you in Jesus. So today, I wanna to focus on how you can begin to live like this new you. In Romans chapter six, Paul gives us a picture to remember and a command to follow to help us to live like a new you. Look at how he begins in verse two. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? That's a great question. But I think if we're honest, many of us have a hard time believing the first part of this verse is true, where Paul says that we have died to sin because all of us have some sort of temptation and sin that we struggle with and we've tried hard to stop doing it. You're like, I would give anything to, to, to stop this habit. I would give anything to rid myself of it. And so it's hard for us to believe what Paul says here, that we have died to sin. And so Paul gives us a picture to remember, to help us with our struggles. That's why we take pictures to remember something, right? We take pictures and we keep them to remember something important. And that's what Paul does here. He gives us a picture in verse three of Romans chapter six. Or have you forgotten, he says, that when we became Christians, and were baptized to become one with Christ Jesus, we died with him. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live, here it is, new lives, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised as he was. Paul says, Paul gives us a picture here. He says, baptism is a perfect picture of a spiritual reality that takes place in your life. 
Baptism pictures, he says, how you have become one with Jesus. When, when we get baptized, we, we stand in the water and we basically reenact the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul says in a very personal way, baptism pictures how God has made you one with Jesus. And since you're one with Jesus, all the benefits of the death and resurrection of Jesus now apply to your life, making it possible for you to live like a new you. And Paul says, when you struggle with temptation and when you struggle with sin, remember the picture of your baptism because it pictures you becoming one with Jesus. And since you're one with Jesus, sin no longer has power over you. Now, I know that's, that's difficult for us to believe because we struggle. And some of us think, okay, you know, I'm one with Jesus, and then, you know, I mess up, and I'm not one with Jesus. And then I go and do something good to make up for it, and then I'm one with Jesus until I mess up again, and then I'm not one with Jesus. But that's not what Paul says here. Paul says, your baptism pictures that you have become one with Jesus and you're one with him on your best days and you're one with him on your worst days. Think of baptism like a, like a wedding ceremony. Wedding ceremonies are the most pictured events in our lives. Baptism is like a wedding ceremony. And just like a couple say I do to each other in a wedding ceremony, right before we baptize someone, we have them repeat a statement of faith in Jesus. We have them say, I believe that Jesus is the son of the living God and I take him as my Lord and my savior. That statement is like saying I do to Jesus. And then after a couple says I do to each other, they exchange rings. And those rings symbolize the commitment that they've made to one another. And the ring also symbolizes how God has made them one in, in marriage. God takes two people and makes them one. I'm amazed, I, I still have my wedding ring. I have a tendency to lose things. I mean, I'm always losing my phone and my keys and I, I have misplaced and lost my ring so many times over the years and somehow I, I'm able to, to find it uh, each time. It, it, it has so much meaning and, and value uh, to me. I remember one time many years ago, Marnie lost her wedding ring for several days. And uh, we, we, she was upset, we were, we, we were both so upset about it. She lost it in the grass in a park. And uh, some friends helped us, looked for it, and uh, uh, we couldn't find it. We, we went back three days in a row. I mean, we searched hard, couldn't find it. They mowed the grass in the park, <laughs> but we didn't, we didn't give up. Finally, we borrowed a metal detector and we prayed. And in five minutes, we found the ring. And I remember we were so happy, we, we went out and celebrated. We had dinner together because the ring, the ring means so much. Baptism's like your wedding ring. It symbolizes how you said, I do to Jesus and became one with him. And what is true about Jesus, it's now true about you because you're in Jesus. All the benefits of his death and resurrection apply to your life, which means that sin no longer has authority and power in your life, and you're free to live like the new you. Paul goes on explaining the meaning of the picture of baptism. He says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. I know that might sound complicated, let me summarize it for you. 
When your relationship with Jesus changed, your relationship with sin changed. Even, and even though you feel the presence of temptation and sin, the power switch has been turned off. Sin no longer owns you. It is no longer your master. And you're free to say no to temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God's faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. That's great news. We can say no to any and every temptation and sin. But this is difficult for us to remember and believe. We, 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 we wonder, you know, if I'm free from sin, why do I feel so tempted? Why, when I'm, when I'm lonely, do I feel so overwhelmed with temptation to go and do the same thing again and again? If I'm free from sin, why do I feel like I'm a slave to certain temptations? But here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that the way I feel, it doesn't always line up with what's true. My emotions don't always line up with what's true about me. You know, for example, we live uh, near the uh, New Berlin Trail. I love to ride my bicycle on the New Berlin Trail. It's beautiful. But there are a bunch of geese that live near the uh, New Berlin Trail, and they like to strut around on that trail like they own it. Now, sometimes they just live and let live, but uh, if they have babies or if they're just in a bad mood, I mean, they will hiss at you, they will flap their wings, they will uh, charge at you, and I don't know why, I'm, I'm afraid of the geese. They intimidate me. There's times when I see them up ahead on the path when I'm riding my bike and I stop and I have a little talk with myself. I muster up, try to muster up my courage and I say, all right, Ben, you know, keep riding. Don't even look at the geese. You know, just keep riding, ride fast and they'll get out of the way and they always do. But I don't know why I'm so afraid of them. They don't have any claws, they don't have any teeth. Uh, they don't have any muscles. Their neck is like a, a pencil. Sometimes I just have to remind myself of who I am and you're just a goose. My, see, my emotions don't always line up with what's true. That's why Paul tells us to remember the truth that your baptism pictures. It's your wedding ring. You're one with Jesus. What's true about Jesus is, is true about you. Sin no longer has power and authority over you. All the benefits of the death and resurrection of Jesus apply to your life. Live like you're free. That's the picture that Paul gives us to remember. And then he gives us a command to follow. Here's the command in verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the same way that baptism pictures who you are in Jesus, Paul says, count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus. This word count, it's a command. It's, it's actually a mathematical term, an accounting term. It means to accept, to believe, to declare something as true. If you go to the bank and you deposit $500 in the bank, you live like you've got $500. You believe it's true. You count on it. You declare something as true. And so I want to invite you to declare this truth with me out loud. Would you say this out loud with me? On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. I am dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I need to tell myself that a hundred times a day. 
Now, I know that might sound like the power of positive thinking or positive self-talk and, you know, maybe you're like, there's no power in positive thinking. And you're right, there is no power in positive thinking unless what you're thinking is true. And when you have become one with Jesus, pictured by your baptism, you are no longer the same person. What's true about Jesus is true about you. All the benefits of his death and resurrection apply to you. Sin no longer owns you. And Paul challenges us. He actually, he commands us to believe it, to declare it. Because when you believe that you're dead to sin and alive to Jesus, when you really believe it, God infuses you with power. Power to set you free and live like a new you. So I've got two challenges for you today to help you believe and remember the truth about yourself in Jesus so that you can live like the new you. Here's the first one, get baptized. Next weekend, we offer baptisms in the services at both campuses and we've got everything that you need. Baptism will help you live like the new you. Probably the Number one question that I get asked about baptism is, is this one. I was baptized as a baby. Should I, get, should I get baptized again? Now, if you were baptized as a baby, your parents made that decision for you they, because they love you. They wanted you to grow up and choose to follow Jesus and live like a new you. You should honor your parents because they made that decision for you. But Paul tells us to remember our baptism. It's like a wedding ring. It's an important memory, but some of us don't remember it. We can't remember it because we got baptized as a baby. And there's no example in the New Testament of a infant baptism. Every example of baptism in the New Testament is of a believer, somebody making their own choice. And so I would encourage you, make your own decision. Create this memory for yourself and get baptized as a believer next weekend. It doesn't negate what your parents did for you, I think it actually fulfills it because you're making a choice to follow Jesus and live like the new you. Over and over, we talk to people who uh, got baptized and you know what they say, a week, a month, a year, many years after, you know what they say? I feel like a new person. And you know why they say that? Because they are, they are. So take this opportunity and uh, get yourself baptized with us this next weekend. We follow the best safety precautions. We'll even give you a t-shirt and, and a picture that you can keep to remember your baptism. Let us know on the welcome card. Drop that in the offering box on your way out. You can stop at the connect wall after the service if you have some questions, if you'd like to sign up. If you're watching online, fill out the welcome card digitally and we'll reach out to you and arrange for your baptism. For those of you that have already been baptized, don't miss next weekend. It's going to be a great celebration. Let's, let's come and support, show our support, and encourage those getting baptized. And it'll remind you about your baptism and who you really are in Jesus. All right, here's the second challenge, and this one's for everybody. I want you to read Romans chapters 6 through 8. We've actually designed a reading plan for you. We, we all need to read and reflect on this great section of Scripture. It, it helps us. Make a shift in our mind to believe and remember the truth that you're dead, in, you're dead to sin and alive in Jesus. Dead to sin and alive in Jesus. I read this week about, about Arizona State University in their basketball arena. 
in the student section, they do something, they have something they call the curtain of distraction. Anytime an opposing player goes to the free throw line to shoot a free throw, they pull the curtain back and they reveal uh, something, uh, something silly uh, to distract the free throw shooter. Sometimes it's a guy in a Speedo. Sometimes it's a picture of his mother or his sister's telephone number. They've come up with all kinds of silly distractions behind the curtain. But here's the reality. All the people who shot free throws before the curtain of distraction shot 70%. After the curtain of distraction, they shot 60%. So it works. It's effective. It's distracted people from what they need to focus on. And see, we live in a world that bombards us every single day with all kinds of distractions to keep us from believing and remembering and declaring the truth about ourselves and what Jesus has done for us. Reading and reflecting on Romans 6 through 8 is going to help us to focus on who we are in Jesus so that we can live like the new you. You can take out your phone right now and you can just text at new you Devo to 81010 and you'll be signed up to receive the installments via text message Monday through Fridays throughout the series. You can also access the devotionals on the new you page of our website. We've also created a video curriculum for life groups and individuals to use as we go through this series. This will help you to dig deeper and understand and apply Romans chapters six through eight to your life. It's also available on the new you page of our website. And don't miss a weekend of this series. I think it's gonna be a powerful series. Each week, we're gonna unpack a little bit more of what it takes to live like the new you. But today, as you think about your life, your struggles, your temptations, and what you wish you could change about yourself. Maybe you need some encouragement that no matter what you struggle with, no matter how you feel like you've fallen short, it's covered by what Jesus did for you. And you have new power and a new life in Jesus. Maybe you need a reminder today that God has done something miraculous for you. We're gonna share communion and then we're gonna sing a final song called Death Was Arrested. It says, when death was arrested, my life began. You have made me new. My life begins with you. What a great declaration for us to make as a church to cement what we've learned this first weekend of this new series. But before we get there, we're gonna receive communion. I'm so glad that we share communion each weekend. Communion unites us as one in Jesus. It reminds us that Jesus is our hope and he is the hope of the world. And no matter how chaotic or how divided our world might seem, Jesus unites us. The love of Jesus unites us together. I'm gonna pray and then you can take communion here in the room and online as well. Remember the bread represents Christ's body, the juice represents Christ's blood. Our communion is open to anyone who puts his or her faith in Jesus and says, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I wanna live like a new you. I'm gonna pray and then feel free to take communion when you're ready. God, thank you for the opportunity to start this new series and study one of the greatest sections in the Bible to help us learn how to live like a new you. 
We want to experience the full benefits of what you provide for us in Jesus. I pray for those of us that that have come to believe in Jesus but have yet to take the step of baptism. God, would you nudge them and give them courage to take this important step that'll help them live like the new you. And God, thank you for communion and the way it symbolizes what Jesus has done for us and also the way it unifies us together as one church. Thank you for making us one in Jesus and it's in his name I pray, amen.